Please Leave podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. After four years as a short-term rental host, I can instantly tell if the vibration coming from my phone is a regular text or if it's the Airbnb app alerting me of a message or reservation change. The buzz is lower and more succinct. Primal, somehow. I could almost feel it in my bones. So when the deep buzz of the app rattled my phone on my coffee table just as I was about to snuggle into the couch for the night and catch up on the episodes of trashy television I'd been hoarding, I prayed that it was a reservation request and not a guest in need of my immediate assistance. But of course, it was a guest in need of my immediate assistance. Of course it was. I tapped open the message from Stan and Jan a couple who had booked the house for five days for a bird-watching convention that was in town and had been scheduled to arrive that afternoon. Either Stan or Jan had written, All but one light out in kitchen. And the disastrous typing and punctuation in the short sentence made it clear that Stan and Jan were likely over the age of 70. I sighed the sigh of someone who had just had their trash TV binge derailed and typed back, Sorry about that. Be right over to replace them. You might assume that some missing light bulbs could wait until morning, and in a lot of cases they can, but I know from experience that guests over a certain age will not be willing to postpone the illumination of the space they paid good money to rent, and so the faster I got over there, the better my chances of keeping my 4.98 review rating intact. I also enjoy chatting with my older renters on the occasions I've gotten to meet them, so I headed over to the house in a better mood than I would have been if it had been some overprotective mom or high-maintenance city person complaining, which was usually the case. Luckily, the house is just a three-minute drive from my own, so almost exactly five minutes after I'd sent the message to Stan and Jan, I was knocking on the door with a pack of fresh light bulbs tucked under my arm. The rental is actually one half of a duplex that my uncle owns, and it's walking distance to the beach, so when the last tenant had moved out, I convinced him to let me put it on Airbnb and manage it in exchange for half the profits. Normally, I would have texted him to take care of the lights, but he was out of town on his annual fishing trip for the rest of the week. So maintenance duties were all mine until he returned. After a second round of soft but assertive knocks, I heard the sound of someone unfamiliar with the locks fumbling them all into their unlatched positions, followed by the door opening to reveal the face of a man who looked firmly in his 80s. Hi there! I tried to sound as helpful and unbothered as possible as I greeted the man who I assumed was Stan. I brought the light bulbs so you don't have to cook your dinner in the dark tonight. The older generation usually appreciated that type of wholesome humor, and Stan was no exception. His face lit up, and despite there only being a screen door between us, he practically shouted back, Ha! Well, this is some excellent service. I wish my grandsons would come this quickly when I call them. But they're too busy being glued to those game systems their mother keeps buying them. Kids these days, honestly. (laughs) I responded, and Stan's smile spread even wider, and when he failed to make a move for me to enter, I asked, Mind if I come in? Oh, yes. Goodness, of course. 
He shuffled back until there was enough room for me to swing the screen door in toward him and enter the modestly appointed townhome they'd rented from me for the week. I surveyed the room and was surprised to find it was in exactly the same condition that I'd left it in when I'd cleaned it this morning. Normally, when guests text at the beginning of their stay, the house is littered with their belongings as they move them in from their cars and unpack, but I didn't see a single item that I didn't recognize as belonging to the house. There was no sign of Jan, as Stan led me through the living room and dining room and into the kitchen, so I wondered if maybe she'd made a run to the store before they'd had a chance to unpack. Hmm. Once we were in the kitchen, Stan flipped the light switch to demonstrate that only one light bulb was burning in the overhead fixtures, then turned it off and then on again, just in case I'd missed it the first time or didn't believe what I was seeing. Oh yeah, that's not good. I agreed with more intensity than I'd ever given to the issue of a missing light bulb in my life. You'd chop your hand off if you tried to cook in here. Don't say that in front of Jan. (laughs) Stan laughed and teetered toward a bar stool to sit down while I installed the new lights. She'd love an excuse to take a knife to me after 30 years of marriage. 30 years? I paused to glance back at Stan as I unscrewed the first bulb. That's amazing. What's your secret? Stan was quiet behind me as he thought for a bit, then said, I haven't given it much thought before, but I think the most important thing is to find things to do together and keep doing them. So many old people just roll over and die, but Jan and I keep going. We keep finding things we like to do together. I love that. I smiled at Stan and moved on to the second light as he told me that he'd never had kids, but Jan had three, and how much he'd enjoyed being a stepfather. We've had a lot of adventures together as a family over the years. He smiled wistfully for a moment, remembering the good times. How'd you two meet? Stan chuckled as he recalled meeting the love of his life at his office's regional Christmas party. It's funny, because the first thing I noticed was the beautiful brooch she had pinned to her dress. Not sure if you can tell, but I'm not a real flashy dress-up kind of guy. Stan motioned to his worn jeans and t-shirt. But I was so taken by that beautiful brooch, I couldn't stop looking at it. And when I finally looked up at the face of the brooch, well, it was love at first sight, as they say. Oh, wow. I responded as I stepped down from replacing the last bulb. You're a lucky man. Yes. He agreed and nodded, smiling. Yes, I am. Okay, well, is there anything else I can help you with before I leave? I replaced the chair that I'd used to reach the kitchen lights and started to inch toward the front door. Actually, Stan started, and my stomach sank a little. I was eager to get back to my comfy night on the couch, but wasn't about to be rude to a guest, especially a kindly older man like Stan. We did notice that one of the drawer pulls in the bedroom is loose, and I'd hate to have it fall off or not be able to get my medicine in the morning. Then why don't you move your medicine? I wanted to ask, but of course I didn't. Instead, I manufactured the most cheerful tone and said, Oh, of course, I'd be happy to tighten that up. Let me just grab my toolkit from the owner's closet. I crossed the room to the closet where I kept all of the extra supplies that I didn't want the guests to have open access to, entered the code on the padlock, 
and retrieved the bag of tools I left at the house for small repairs, like the drawer handle. Once I'd closed and locked the closet, I followed Stan down the long hallway to one of the four bedrooms in the home. They'd naturally chosen the one with the large, attached bathroom, and I noticed the bathroom door was closed as we entered the room. Which drawer was it? I asked, and instinctively walked toward the nightstand that had more masculine items lined up neatly on top. Yep, that's the one, Stan confirmed, pointing to the nightstand where his oversized glasses neatly rested on top of a conservative-looking book about investing money next to a section of a newspaper folded neatly in half, a mostly full pack of Wrigley's chewing gum, and a small, black flashlight. Okay, let me have a look. I tested the handle and found that it was as wobbly as Stan had claimed it was, so I pulled the drawer open to reveal the largest pill bottle I'd ever seen in my life. I opened the drawer a little wider so I could have adequate access to the back side of the handle and asked Stan, Mind if I move these out of the way? What's that? Stan asked and took a couple of steps closer. Mind if I move this bottle of pills? I repeated and gestured toward the enormous container in the drawer. Oh yeah, no problem. Stan agreed warmly. Those are just my fuck pills. You're not going to hurt anything. I paused and sucked in my breath, shocked by what I thought I'd heard him say, then immediately dismissed my shock as I was sure I'd just misheard him. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I said over eagerly and placed the pills as far away from me as possible on top of the nightstand. I had the handle securely tightened within seconds, then replaced the bottle, closed the drawer, and stood up to leave. Need anything else? I kicked myself as the words compulsively passed my lips, but kept a tight smile plastered on my face so I wouldn't betray my helpful tone. Actually, Stan began again and turned to look down the hallway outside of the room. We only found one roll of toilet tissues in the other bathrooms, and at this age, we're going to need a lot more than that. <laughs> he let out a hearty laugh, and I nodded to show that I understood that. Oh, sorry about that, I squeaked and headed back towards the owner's closet. Just as I was about to leave the bedroom, I noticed a strange sound coming from behind the closed door of the attached bathroom. It sounded like rapid breathing and reminded me of the breathing tapes my mom had watched when she was pregnant with my little sister. I paused to listen, and the sound became slightly louder. Um, I began, not entirely sure how to bring up the sound I was hearing. Is your wife in the bathroom? Yes, Jan is resting, Stan confirmed and I assumed he meant she was soaking in the oversized and jetted tub that was in the bathroom. Is she okay? I asked sheepishly as the breathing grew even louder. Oh, she's just fine, Stan responded, but had to raise his voice a bit to be heard over the volume of the breathing that continued to grow. Um, okay. I wasn't sure if I should push harder about the welfare of his wife, but I wasn't about to enter the bathroom where an elderly woman was doing whatever she was doing if her own husband wasn't concerned. The breathing seemed to fill the room as I hastily exited and hurried back to the closet in the kitchen, opening the padlock and pulled out as many rolls of toilet paper as I could carry. I brought them back down the hall and distributed four rolls between the first two bathrooms, 
then brought the last two into the main bedroom where Stan was still standing. I'll let you put these in the bathroom once Jan is done in there, I said, and tried to hand them to him. I'd really prefer if you put them away when she's done, Stan said as he made no attempt to take the toilet paper in my outstretched hands. We paid good money for this place, so I'd prefer to have everything in order before you leave. Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) The urge to kick them out and cancel the rental burned inside of me, but I calculated how much they would have paid for the five days before I allowed myself to do anything irrational. It would have amounted to close to $3,000 that time of year, so I couldn't afford to push back against his strange demands. Not to mention that it was par for the course when hosting short-term rentals. Most guests were so thrilled to be on vacation, they wouldn't flinch if they found a dead body in the middle of the living room. But one in a thousand guests would milk you for every cent they'd paid to stay. And Stan and Jan were clearly those guests. I retracted the toilet paper and squatted awkwardly on the edge of the bed while Jan hyperventilated on the other side of the bathroom door, and Stan stood, silent and staring. I ached to pull out my phone as a break in the awkwardness, but I'd left it in the car, thinking I'd be in and out in five minutes. So instead I sat, cradling the rolls and feeling desperate to ask Stan a question to break the silence between us, but Jan's breathing had grown so loud, I knew attempting a conversation would just make things more awkward. Then, after ten torturous minutes, the breathing stopped and the door snapped open in the next second. The amount of time between the moment the breathing stopped and the door opened was so short, it felt as if Jan had been standing with her nose pressed to the door the entire time. She bounded into the room, boisterous despite a slight hitch in her step, and greeted me warmly as I stood up and attempted a smile. Now who's this? She asked and stood as close as she could without touching me. Aaron owns this place, Stan interjected. He came right over after I sent him a message about the kitchen lights. Oh, what a dear, Jan exclaimed and placed a warm hand on my shoulder. And such excellent customer service. She looked at Stan approvingly, and he nodded in agreement. She leaned in close enough that I could feel her breath on my face, and it was all I could do to stay in place and endure the hot and slightly sour vapor from the sweet old woman's mouth as she went on. Stan and I stayed in a place in Holland, Michigan, right after we got married. A B&A's rental, just like this one. I didn't dare correct her as she butchered the name of the hosting company, and she continued. And you'll never believe me, no one does, but someone left a baby in the bathtub. Sweet little thing didn't make a peep behind the shower curtain, and we didn't even realize it was there until we sat down for dinner. I grilled the steaks because they had a grill on the deck, and Stan loves my steaks. Does this place have a grill? It does, <laughs> just outside of the door, off the kitchen. I croaked, and Jan launched back into her story that I, too, failed to believe was true. So, yes, we just sat down to enjoy two hot and juicy steaks when we heard an awful screaming, and it took us about five minutes to figure out where it was even coming from, because who would ever think to look for a screaming baby in a bathtub? Jan looked over my shoulder at Stan, and they laughed uproariously at their shared memory. We called the police, and it turned out the cleaning lady had brought her sister's baby along with her after the sitter canceled and then just forgot she'd laid her down in the tub. 
or had been watching her at all for that matter, and the next thing you know I'm comforting some strange baby while our stakes grow cold. Can you even imagine? Jan managed to lean in even closer as I said that no, I couldn't even imagine. Then Stan interrupted with, So now we can't even start our vacation until Jan does a thorough sweep of all of the restrooms in the house to make sure there aren't any little ones stashed under the lid of the commode. (laughs) He laughed at his joke and then tossed out a final thought. But I guess we don't have to worry about random babies in the house with gentlemen of your persuasion, do we? Once again, I fought the burning urge to tell the old bastard that gay people are fully capable of raising children, but instead clapped my hands and said, Well, okay, now that that's been taken care of, I'll be on my way. We can't thank you enough. Jan gushed while maintaining an uncomfortable level of eye contact. I stood still and stared back so as not to be rude, And it wasn't until she started to lean in again and cock her head slightly, as though she was about to kiss me, that I stepped back, said a final goodbye, and started my beeline to the front of the house. When I was just a few steps out of the bedroom, I was paralyzed by an ear-splitting scream, followed by the thud of a body hitting the floor behind me. So I spun around and returned to the room I had been so desperate to leave just seconds before. Jan was on her back on the ground in the exact spot I'd just left her, and Stan was at her side, shifting parts of her body to stabilize her as her eyes rolled back in her head and her teeth snapped at the air. My first instinct was that she was having a seizure, but my sister had suffered from seizures for years when she was small, and whatever was happening to Jan didn't look at all like what my sister had experienced. I need you to help me massage her, Stan bellowed, snapping me out of my trance. I hurried over to them, crouched down across from Stan, and surveyed Jan for signs of how to help. You have to massage her! Stan shouted even louder than before. It's her condition. Her blood locks up, and we have to get it going again. I nodded, dumbly, and tentatively laid my hands on Jan's leg in front of me. I was relieved to feel that her skin was warm, and I started to rub small circles along the edge of her thigh. No, harder! Stan demanded. You've got to really get in there. I applied more pressure to the circles, but Stan just let out an exasperated breath, grabbed my hands, relocated them to the top of his wife's thigh, and pressed down so hard it took my breath away for a moment. Like that, he instructed, and so I mimicked the movement. You got her all worked up leaving so rudely like that, he murmured as he studied me disapprovingly. I just kept my head down and prayed for Jan to come out of her fit so I could get away from the strange couple. You really should be more polite, especially with your elders. Mm Mm-hmm. I agreed and continued to move my way down Jan's leg, recreating the motions Stan had insisted I perform on his wife. What was that? Stan snapped and leaned in closer. I wasn't looking at him, but I could feel his eyes boring through me. You need to speak up, son. It's important to speak clearly when you're addressing your elders. I was seconds away from saying fuck it, standing up and leaving. I didn't care how much money I lost or how much it affected my rating. I'd had enough of Stan and Jan, and I was ready to get out of there. But just before I could, Jan's limbs stiffened beneath my touch, and her head started thrashing wildly. Ah, shit! Stan shouted. It's a bad one. Help me protect her head. 
I pulled my hands away from Jan's leg, but was unsure exactly what to do. So I just stared at Stan as he reached for a pillow from the nearby bed. Well, help me! He shouted again. Get up there by her head and make sure she doesn't hit it on anything! I did as I was told and positioned myself above Jan's head as it continued to buck at the end of her neck. I reached out a hand to either side to act as buffers in case her movements became too violent, and as soon as they were parallel to her cheeks, she lashed out to the right and bit me hard. I screamed and recoiled my hands as I pushed myself back and away from her a couple of feet. I studied the injured hand and was relieved to see that she hadn't broken the skin, but it still throbbed, red and raw where she'd clamped down with her surprisingly strong jaw. What are you doing? For God's sake! Stan's angry voice filled the room, and I shrunk back even further, babying my injured hand in the other. She bit me! I shot back with as much authority as I could muster. She did no such thing, he immediately argued, and then turned back to Jan to situate the pillow under her still jerking body. As soon as the pillow was in place, he rested his hands on either side of her face, and as if by magic, her thrashing slowed and then stopped. I could hear a whimper escape from her parched lips, and Stan murmured soothing words as Jan slowly regained consciousness. Stan? She whispered, and he assured her that he was there and that she'd just had one of her spells. Kicking off our vacation with a bang, <laughs> he joked, and she smiled weakly up at him. Can I have some water? She asked, and Stan turned to me to fulfill her request. I simply nodded and exited the room to fetch a glass of water from the kitchen. I took a moment to turn my hand under the cold water before returning to the bedroom, and the coolness felt nice against the hot trail of her teeth marks. Once the glass was mostly full, I returned to the bedroom to find Jan sitting upright against the bed as Stan emerged from the bathroom with a wet washcloth for her to press against her forehead. I handed Jan the glass of water, then quickly said, Okay, so I'm going to go now, then spun around to leave without any additional fanfare. But once again, just as I was on the verge of crossing the threshold that led into the hallway and then through the rest of the house and out into the world where I could get as far away from Stan and Jan as possible, I was frozen by the sound of Jan screaming, followed by the shattering of glass as it smashed against the wall. I spun around as Stan rushed over to Jan, who was sobbing where she sat. What happened, my love? Stan asked breathlessly and leaned over to comfort her. He tried to scold me, she screamed and pointed to where I stood in the doorway. Stan stood up so quickly, I barely had time to register what was happening. He crossed the room in two enormous steps, then grabbed me by my collar and heaved me back into the room. I stumbled into the dresser, then scrambled to the other side to try to put something solid between myself and the surprisingly strong man. What? I did not! I insisted and flinched at the pathetic pitch of my voice. You most certainly did. Jan screamed back and sucked in a few wet sobs. <laughs> that water was scalding hot and I've burned off a layer of skin in my mouth. I'm lucky I didn't get third degree burns all over my body. I don't know what you're trying to pull here, Aaron, but I'm going to have to call the authorities. What kind of person assaults an elderly woman in the middle of a medical emergency? Stan strode back to his side of the bed and pulled an ancient flip phone out from under the folded newspaper. 
No, Stan, I swear that water was cold. I even ran my hand under it before I filled the glass. I swear to you, I, I would never hurt anyone. Stan had been in the process of opening his phone, and after studying me for a few beats, he quickly clicked the phone shut and set it back on the nightstand. And why wouldn't you hurt anyone, young man? Stan asked and stared at me intently. What? I wasn't sure what exactly he was asking or why he was asking it, but I was relieved he'd abandoned his threat to call the police for the time being. I said, why wouldn't you hurt anyone? Why wouldn't you? He repeated the question, and I glanced at Jan, who was still sitting against the bed, but had stopped crying and was staring at a blank spot on the carpet in front of her. Because I wouldn't! I threw up my hands, totally overwhelmed and exasperated. I would never hurt an innocent person, never. See? I told you he was a good, sweet boy. Jan said softly, still staring straight ahead. Yes, mother, you did. Stan agreed warmly. You're always right, my love. Always. He's a keeper. Jan's eyes welled with tears as she turned to me and smiled lovingly. You're a good, good boy. Yeah, I am a good boy. I ran my hands through my hair, more frustrated and weirded out than I'd ever been in my entire life. And this good boy has got to go now. Have a great rest of your night. I practically sprinted to the bedroom door, and as I passed Jan on the floor, she reached out and grabbed my ankle with a shockingly strong grip. Wait! She cried, and her grip tightened. Just one more thing before you go. Nope, I said firmly. I'm done. I've got to go. Son, you wouldn't want us to call the police about the scalding water, would you? Stan warned, and it was all I could do not to start screaming and lashing out at them. Just do one last thing for my wife, would you? I sighed heavily, dug deep into the preserves of my patience, and responded. (sighs) Fine. One more thing, and then I have to go. Yes, yes, of course, Jan said brightly, and she pulled herself up from the floor and then patted my shoulder with the grandmotherly softness she'd approached me with before. I just want you to meet my kids. They've been resting after the long journey here, but I know they'd love to meet the lovely young man who has taken such good care of us. Your kids are here? I asked, totally caught off guard by the news that there were more people in the house somewhere. Yes, they're downstairs watching TV. Jan nodded, and her smile widened at the thought of her children. Probably ancient aliens, Stan interjected. They never miss a new episode. I resisted the urge to ask if Ancient Aliens was still producing new episodes, and instead said, Sure, yeah, great. Let's go say hi to your kids. I led the way to the stairs that descended into the finished basement that I'd converted into a family room, and as I reached the door, I could hear the soft murmur of the television below. I opened the door, and as we started down the stairs, Jan called out, Kids! This nice young man wants to meet you. We're coming down. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Aaron, I said with almost no sincerity. The room was dark except for the blue flicker of the TV, which looked like it was playing the movie The Beaver, starring Jodie Foster and Mel Gibson. 
I could see the silhouettes of three people on the large sectional in front of it. So I rounded the side of the sofa to get the introduction over with and go home. As I did, Jan called out to her kids. Say hello to Aaron, kids. You'll be excited to hear that he's going to be joining the family. Such a sweet, nice boy. Such a good boy. I didn't notice that Stan and Jan had paused where the stairs began near the door, and just before they walked back up the couple of steps to the top and closed the door behind them, I caught a glimpse of one of Jan's adult children as they turned toward where I stood just a couple feet away. The face was so disfigured, I couldn't tell the gender of the person as they stared back at me through lumpy strips of flesh where their eyes should have been. Right before the door shut off most of the light in the room, the person opened their mouth into what resembled a scream, but no sound came out, and I was instead greeted by the jagged stump of their severed tongue. I raced to the stairs and was screaming for them to open the door before I'd even reached it. It was, of course, locked tight, and I pounded and screamed and tried to ignore the sounds of movement behind me as Jan's children seemed to communicate in an inhuman series of grunts and clicks, then rose from the sofa and began an equally horrible shuffle in my direction. Let me out of here! I screamed with so much intensity it burned. The children's moans grew louder as I pounded and pulled and screamed for some relief from the insanity that was threatening to consume me. I could hear the wet smacking of their tongueless mouths, the strange crackle of their limbs, and was petrified to imagine what they'd do to me once they'd reached me. What were those silas, secluded, monstrous creatures capable of? How much of their humanity was still intact after living that way for God knows how long? And just as I knew for sure that I'd go insane if I'd had to endure another second of guttural chaos that was inching even closer, a new voice appeared on the other side of the door. Aaron! Yes, hi! I shouted in return. Please open the door. Let me out of here now! Aaron, it's Jake from Jake's Dank Pranks, and you've been danked on! Before I could register what was happening, the door to the basement slammed open, and there was a small camera crew pressing in toward me on the other side. A goofy-looking man who seemed 15 years too old to be making prank videos stood in front of them with an overly large smile on his face below his beady brown eyes and bleached blonde hair. I stared at the void where his roots had grown out and left a dark strip between his scalp and the burnt yellow of the rest of his hair and internally begged it to suck me in and away from the awful people that were bearing down on me from all sides. I turned around and the people who had played Jen's children were removing the strips of rubber flesh that had been applied over their eyes. Their wide, obnoxious smiles matched Jake's and he was suddenly clapping me on the back as if we'd been friends our whole lives. The crew descended on me from above, cameras buzzing, and lenses focusing to capture my stunned and weary face, and I stepped back into the basement to accommodate them as Jake explained. Your friend Tony set you up, man. He couldn't be here with us today, but he wanted me to tell you, booyah, buttface. The cast and crew erupted into laughter, and Jake called up the stairs. Come on down, Dana and John. Dana and John, who I'd previously known as Jan and Stan, appeared in the doorway at the top of the stairs, shrugging and smiling at me in the aw-shucks manner of someone who is not on the receiving end of a prank and wants you to be a good sport about it. Jan reached up and removed her wig and apologized for accidentally biting me while she faked her medical emergency. 
Stan peeled back the elaborate prosthesis that covered most of his face to reveal that they were both probably in their late thirties and not the feeble octogenarians they'd pretended to be earlier in the night. Wow, you really got me, (laughs) I managed to say as I calculated how long it would take for me to wrap things up with the nightmarish group of people who had infiltrated my home and terrorized me for the sake of likes and views on whatever platforms the video ended up on. Sorry, buddy, Stan slash John said, and wrapped an uninvited arm around my shoulder as one of the cameras moved in closer to capture my response. Yeah, you really freaked me out, I admitted, and smiled an exhausted smile. What do you say to your friend Tony who set this whole thing up? Jake asked and leaned in for my big reaction. Actually, I laughed sheepishly. I really have to be, like, really have to be, so can I run upstairs real quick? Oh, hell yeah, my man. Jake waved his arms at the crew in a gesture that I assumed meant to stop rolling. Yeah, of course. Go do the liquid limbo, then come back down and put your friend Tony on blast. I nodded and headed back upstairs as the cast and crew high-fived and congratulated each other on a job well done behind me. I paused at the top of the stairs and turned back to address them. There is no Tony, by the way. The group halted their celebration and turned to listen. One of the men instinctively swung his camera into position to capture what I was saying. This? I waved a hand over the room full of pranksters and social media vultures. Is so fucking cringe. Their faces fell as I stepped out of the room and closed the door behind me. I reached up to the ceiling to grab the hidden handle of the steel door on the outside of the regular door and pulled it into place with a slam that echoed throughout the entire house. I swung the massive arm into place to reinforce it, then flipped the industrial deadbolt into the locked position. The room was soundproof. There was no chance I'd hear even the slightest peep from my captives, but I could imagine their stunned silence followed by one or all of them rushing to the top of the stairs to investigate, then slowly starting to panic as they realized they were trapped in the windowless room with nothing but a toilet, a comfy couch, and a TV that only played the beaver on repeat for them to enjoy during their last hours on Earth. Oh. And the others were still down there, too. They would probably eventually discover the others if they were smart enough to access the hidden room behind the false wall. But I prayed for their sake that they didn't. I hoped they'd spend their last hours creating something thoughtful and honest and beautiful like those that came before them. I prayed that they had the forethought to record their true selves like the others had when I'd trapped them and forced them to take a deeper look at the purpose of life and finally explore the reason they'd been put on this planet. The others had laid out their souls so exquisitely before they died. They were so raw and vulnerable and so perfectly human as mortality made their acquaintance and life took on meaning in their last moments. I hoped they'd make something that I would be as proud to share with the world when it was time. I will show the world what truly matters when the work is ready. I'll show them all when my masterwork is finally complete.
It was written by Courtney Eck and narrated by Kieran Regan. For more stories that haunt, as well as a behind the scenes look at what we do and why we do it, you can join our Patreon at patreon slash please leave pod. You can follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at Please Leave Pod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com. And our website is pleaseleavepod.com. This has been a Please Leave Media production.